chapter 14, verses 26 to the end of the chapter. First Corinthians 14, verses 26 to 40, and I'll be reading from the CSB. What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should evaluate. But if, some, if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything is to be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, we really need your Holy Spirit to bring revelation about what it is, about what you're speaking to us, about what you're teaching us, for our time and place today. So we pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us what it is that you are teaching through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church and now to us here at New Life. Speak, Lord, and help us to listen. Help us, Lord, to place everything else aside, every stumbling block that we might be able to receive from you wisdom, that we might be able to carry it out in our church here. Would you be with us throughout this time? Would you help us, Lord, to not be distracted by anything else, but to seek you and to love you all that much more today? Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this passage and much of what we've seen for about the past month and a half uh, has instructions on how to keep things orderly when the Corinthian church gathers together. And for us then, the general application is that every time we gather together, everyone serves and ministers to one another in an understandable way. This should be the general principle. It should be for the sake of building up the church in faith. And so it's important to keep in mind this kind of orderliness. Paul's purpose in writing all of this is to provide a blueprint on how to keep things orderly in the Corinthian gatherings, and thus the title of today's sermon, The Blueprint. Now for us today, when we're doing the scripture reading, immediately your attention may have been drawn to these verses in particular, and I'll read them out to you. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, 
but are to submit themselves as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, oftentimes, these kinds of verses would make us feel either so uncomfortable that we just skip over it, or it might make us, it might make the more misogynistic among us use these verses in horrible, horrible ways, or we might just decide, hey, maybe this isn't for us. So what's happening here? These verses might have actually threatened the orderliness of our service. You know, this is what we've been praying for since PSP, since pre-service prayer, that we would have order that reflects God's character. But New Life, we as a church, I don't know if you've noticed, we have more women than men in our church. You can look around. We have more women than men. A lot of women with quite strong personalities exist at New Life, and I'd prefer not to cross them because I know what'll happen. I know I'll lose. I know this. Should the women of our church be silent? This is the question that we're facing today, and hopefully you know the answer already, because our fellowship time will be a little bit dull, it will be a little bit quiet. Half of our ministry directors will be affected as well. I genuinely think that we might not be half the church we are today if we were to carry out the letter of this law, if we were just to say, women should be silent in our church. You know, early on in our relationship, uh, Bora and I, I remember getting into a bit of a heated argument. Okay? This was in our, I believe, our first year of marriage. Okay? Um, it might have been even before we got married, which is even worse, because I committed a very grave error, something that I wish that never happened, because immediately as I was reading these verses, this is the example that came to mind, and this is the example that I thought, maybe I'll just put this aside and do a different example. But I talked to Bohr about this event during the week to try to regather all the details so that I could you know, give you as much context to put myself in a little bit of a better light as, you know, as one does. But neither of us could actually remember the context of the argument we were in, which made it a lot worse, because the important part is this. The argument went quite nuclear when I pulled out a, a particular Bible verse, and I just said it, just, here's a Bible verse, <laughs> that she should just submit to what I'm saying in the middle of this argument, and we should just move on, because there's no point arguing about this anymore, just submit. I'm your husband. And you know that God's grace exists, because here I am speaking to you today. You know, all of my appendages are still intact. Uh, free premarital counseling for you guys that are not married, and for everyone, never say this in an argument. It never goes well, okay? There's a huge problem in the things that we do and the things that we say when we place all context aside and we just pull a verse or two and just quote it, just say it, as though this is how we gain meaning from anything. Do we do this with anything else in the world? Like surely when we go into our jobs and we read our job manuals or we, we study in order to become better at our occupation, we don't do this. We actually know the context of why we do things. You know, I'm sure doctors aren't just cutting people open all the time because, hey, this is the quote, I'm supposed to cut you open now, when you just came in for a routine checkup. Okay, this is where we go wrong a lot of the time. It leads us into very problematic ways of thinking and behaving. It serves to reinforce ideas or attitudes that are more about our self-centeredness or our comfort 
rather than about godly love or sacrifice. So let's talk about the context of those two verses that might trip up other people, but not us, because we are a contextual people and we know the context of what we've been reading through 1 Corinthians. So all throughout this passage, this chapter, and the rest of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul's been talking about order. He's been talking about lovingly submitting to one another, sacrificing for the sake of the other person in the church gathering. And in our passage today in particular, Paul's been talking about how this order and submission plays out in several different specific examples. In the case of the Corinthian church here, he talks about how certain people should be silent in the church. They should remain silent, such as those who speak in tongues without interpretation. So these are the people with the gift of tongues, the spiritual gift. He talks about how multiple prophets who all seem to want to talk at once and who all feel like their message is the most important out of everyone, they should be silent. They should take it in turns. And here in our two verses of interest, distracting women should be silent as well. Everyone is expected to submit to one another. Everyone, not just women in the church. To lovingly put others first in the gathering place of worship. Remember last week's sermon, we talked about this. And in the case of these Corinthian women, there's clearly a reason why they in particular are being specified. And it's not an extremely general rule that's being applied across the board to every single woman on earth. Because just think, this pair of verses trips us up for a reason. It seems to come out of nowhere for us like a sucker punch. Like here we go, we're talking about Paul, we're talking about the tongues, we're talking about prophecy, women should be silent, we're like, ooh. And there's, there was like a bit of an uncomfortable silence when I read that verse out. I was kind of wishing that it was next week and we had a different presider up here. But we know that the Corinthians as well, the original recipients of this letter, they would also be confused if Paul just said this out of the blue with no reason at all. There seems to be some sort of a situation where certain women and the way that they were speaking in the Corinthian church was causing issues for the church itself, and so the Corinthians had written about these issues and asked Paul a question. And here Paul is giving his response. Historically speaking, there's a few things that could be happening here. Okay, one of these things is pictured above. Wow, it really seems to connect because of that thing. Remember that this is taking place in Corinth. Okay, so these particular women could have believed, having come from pagan religions, that Christian prophets were similar to this oracle at Delphi, who only responded to questions. So you would ask this, this person questions, and she would respond. Often things about matters of purely personal interest. Things like, is my child gonna be a boy or a girl? And then the oracle at Delphi would you know, do all these things and then just respond to you, boy, girl, whatever. Or does Agamemnon fancy me? You know, these are the kind of questions that these people would ask. But no, Christian prophets don't operate by just responding to whatever questions they're being peppered with because this is easily manipulated. This is not necessarily a gift of the Spirit. This is a gift of you just know how to talk to people a lot of the time. If you've ever taken part in this, you know, those who have been to Korea and seen those little orange tents that people go to to get their fortunes read, beware. It's manipulative. It's very easy to give you the answer that you're looking for. 
But Christian prophets, they speak by the power and the prompt of the Holy Spirit alone. And so the command of silence may be in response to the stream of personal questions that these women are asking these prophets. Another possibility is that when they didn't understand something that was happening in the church, so let's say that someone is up here, much like I am right now, speaking and talking about the word of God, giving a prophetic message or whatever it might be, they were going and asking a bunch of questions to different men in the congregation during the sermon time or during the the prophesying time or whatever it might be. Now, why was this a problem? The noise factor is one thing. Each week after fellowship time, I stand very awkwardly up here and try to call attention because it's so noisy that people just don't hear you. And so you can imagine if everyone is asking questions about things that confuse them, when are you ever gonna get through the message? You'll be sitting there for hours. If I was preaching and a bunch of people were standing up and going over to other men around them and and asking questions, what is he talking about here? What is this oracle at Delphi? Why was he so misogynistic back then when he was talking to Bora and how are they still together? You, You know, it might sound like our fellowship time and you can't really hear what's going on anymore. But another issue that has to do with gender distinctions comes up here. We talked about this at the end of January in a sermon from 1 Corinthians 11, okay? You can go back and listen to this if you want. And there have already been issues with women that have left their hair, which is a sign of their sexuality at the time, uncovered. In the culture at that time, it was a sign of sexuality, and so people were getting stumbled by this. At this time in the Greco-Roman world, women speaking to other women's husbands was seen as scandalous it would have been seen as quite inappropriate. Because at this time and culture, women speaking to any man that's not their husband was seen as scandalous. For the woman, for her spouse, for the man that she's talking to and his spouse, it's a scandal. And though Christian faith and the church indicate that a new culture should be born out of the faith that we believe in, it's still something that we're looking forward to and not one that we're necessarily living right now because we still exist at a certain time and place. So it's wise for us to observe the traditional approach that the people around us find acceptable. Otherwise, we would bring shame upon the body of Christ. And so the counsel to go home and to ask their own husbands was reflective of this time and place as well. Because at this time and place, men were generally more educated, better educated than women in a male-dominated and patriarchal society. And so the traditional view at this time in this culture was for men to teach their families, and this included their wives. Now, a lot has changed between 50 AD and Sydney today. Here, men and women are both hopefully equally educated. This is part of our culture, right? And this is what we see. Engaging in public discussions and conversations with one another, even if they're of the opposite gender, we don't necessarily see this as scandalous anymore, hopefully. Hopefully, you can engage in conversations and you know, people aren't just saying, oh, new boyfriend, new girlfriend, okay? It's not like that anymore, right? It's quite the opposite, where if women were kept from participating, that would create a scandal. That would land us in the news. Not asking questions to one another might seem weird. 
like during our fellowship time. Now here's an issue though. Sometimes with these cultural commands, once things have changed, some people just throw the whole thing out. Some people decide, well, I guess this is outdated. I guess the Bible is not really for me, and so I can just live by my own definition of how I should live. All of scripture, we read, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness for our completion and our equipping. All of it, including this. The principles that form the foundation for what Paul is saying in these verses is basically that no one should act in ways that are considered publicly disgraceful. No one should do this. In ways that disrespect their spouses or other people around them, they shouldn't do this. In ways that are disruptive and distracting to others during the gathering, we shouldn't do this. Because it's about lovingly respecting one another, about maintaining order when we gather together. So why so much focus on order? Because God is a God of order and peace. And we read this in verse 33. It's his character. Everything we should do should be reflective of God's character. Whether it's in our services where we gather together, whether it's in our lives when we go away from here, whatever we do should reflect God's character. And this is why Paul tells them how the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy should be used in the church, how they should be first submitting to the peace and the order of God before they just take part in using their gifts. The blueprint that Paul gives is that there should be a limit to the number of people speaking in tongues. They should only speak in tongues in private if there's no interpreter around. We carry this today as well. There should be a limit to the number of people speaking even if they have the gift of prophecy. Paul specifies two or maybe three max. Let's keep it at that. We all have a little bit of a limit to what we can hear until we start glazing over a little bit. They should really take it in turn, silencing themselves so that they don't just speak over one another, so that the service doesn't go on for hours and hours. Now I've seen when things get a little bit out of hand. When churches or groups of people refuse to put into practice what's written here in the Bible, and they feel that true worship of God is to just let go and let the Spirit just take control. This is the belief that some people go by, to lose control and let God take over their minds and their bodies and their mouths as well. A long, long time ago at a Friday night prayer, someone was invited to speak and testify briefly about God's work in his life. I might have shared this before, I can't remember. He must have really felt like the gift of prophecy was overwhelmingly in his spirit that night. Because several instances when he could have finished speaking, when it felt like his testimony had come to an end, he would just suddenly move on to the next thing, to the next topic, and he would just keep on going. He would continue on. Like, you know when you're, you're driving somewhere and you get distracted by something and you miss your exit off the highway? And so you think, okay, I'll get off at the next exit. And so you just keep driving on and then you miss the next one, and the next one. It, this went for an hour. This went for more than an hour. This person was speaking and testifying. Eventually, and this was like secondhand embarrassment to the max, because the pastor had to come up and try to take the mic away from him. And still, he was a big guy, because he was still holding on 
and refusing to let go of the mic, and he continued on for another 20 minutes like this, with the pastor holding his hand and the mic. He's still talking desperately, still telling us what we needed to hear to order our lives correctly. And in the end, I don't think anyone had the energy to pray at that Friday night prayer at the end. What the Bible tells us, though, is that the way the Spirit speaks is orderly. The other thing that we're talking about here is self-centered. It's a belief that you are the only one who has the message, but this isn't true. Sometimes when things get really out of control, it's something more similar to being possessed. Is this what we believe, that we get possessed by God? He respects our autonomy. He respects us as people. And so we are given the freedom to speak. The other thing is something more often seen in pagan religions or superstitions. With the Holy Spirit, what we see is that the Spirit inspires, that the Spirit speaks, yes, but He speaks through the human mind and the mouth. It's why we can have Paul's unique way of talking, how we can still know that it's inspired, even when he forgets about the names of the people that he's baptized, and it's written in our Bibles, and we know that it's still inspired by God. It's why we can have John's simplicity and his emotion when we read through John's gospel. It's why we can have Peter and his straightforwardness, and you can tell that he's a fisherman and not a writer. We don't discount what might be happening elsewhere and just write it off as this is clearly not the work of God. I don't mean to do this, because in fact, there might be a spiritual gift at work. But the mere fact that something is a gift doesn't mean that it's always used in the right way or at the appropriate time or with a gracious and servant-minded attitude. In fact, what we find often is an abuse of the gifts which grieves the Holy Spirit. True worship is orderly. It's loving towards others. That means that believers should be disciplined should be self-restrained. We should be able to remain composed for the sake of others in the community. This is consistent with God's character. This also means that when we're not doing this, we're acting in ways that are inconsistent with God's character. And considering all that we've been talking about through this section of 1 Corinthians, about how true worship results in a genuine and renewed humanity, then when we reflect what's not God's character, that takes us further and further away from true humanity. And so we come to this, verses 37 to 40. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, Be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. We might believe that we're doing things for God's glory, and yet our hearts would betray when we're doing things entirely for our own selfish motives, doing things that don't reflect God's character, and thus, they don't actually serve any regenerative purpose at all. But do we dare put ourselves in the judgment seat to judge what the Bible says, deciding that we know better. Because sometimes the way that we live reflects this. And Paul tells us, if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. 
And this isn't just like, I'm not gonna listen to you, you know, this isn't that. But in other words, perhaps despite what we believe when we worship, when we do things for God, one day we might hear those words, I never knew you, depart from me. But for us, if we are Christ followers, we have no reason to face this horror. Because we, when we put our trust in the one who faced the greatest disorder of all, who lived and died on the most chaotic day in all of human history, the Son of God and his true humanity, when he was hung upon the cross for our sins, he took the spiritual wrath that we deserved, he secured for us adoption into God's family so that we can receive grace and mercy that we don't deserve. And in facing this disorder, God demonstrates his character once again of that peace and that order, because he brings peace to our chaos. He orders our disorder, and he makes things right. We see this orderly nature in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and this Spirit's prompting for us to now follow Jesus. In our worship, when we gather together, we see this order in the communion as well. And so we're gonna go into a time of communion today. In the communion, what we remember is Jesus upon the cross. And so we can look into the past and see Jesus upon the cross, dying that there might be order to our chaos, that we might be forgiven for our sins. In the communion, what we declare is our continued dependence upon Jesus. We continue to need his grace to be renewed in our hearts constantly, because this is the true blueprint for our lives. And the communion provides for us a glimpse into the future as well. The future day when all will be ordered, when there will be no more disorder in our chaos at the marriage supper of Jesus and the church at his glorious return. Now here at New Life, we celebrate and participate together in the communion on the first Sunday of each month. You're gonna hear the reading of scripture from 1 Corinthians now, from verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now we're reminded by this passage that it's the person and the work of Jesus that we place our faith in. And so we can place any feelings of unworthiness aside because we come to the table under his righteousness. So to receive Christ's all-sufficient worthiness is the right thing for us to do because we receive his grace once again. Communion is also a really great opportunity for us to welcome those who have not yet received the Spirit uh, to now place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If this is you, we ask that you do place your trust in Jesus for your salvation and pray to God asking him to open your eyes to give you revelation regarding his son Jesus and then to participate in the communion with us and then make yourself known to us at the conclusion of the service so we can talk to you about what that means. And New Life's ministry directors, I'm gonna invite you guys up to see the front of each aisle. We're also gonna have a, a ministry director who's gonna be attending the serving volunteers here on stage in the multimedia room, the children's ministry and the parents room as well. And the ministry director who is roaming will have a gluten-free option for those who uh, have allergies. So if you do have allergies, please do see that uh, roaming uh, ministry director. You can come forward as soon as you're ready to receive the communion. 
and then take it back to your seats and wait for everyone to be served so that we can take it together.